0: All right, before we jump into the text this morning, we're going to talk to the young ones. Young ones, let me tell you what the text, the sermon text is going to be about, what the sermon is going to be about, okay? So, young ones, if I can have your attention. Uh, Who knows, just to start off, who knows what book of the Bible we're in right now? Just yell it out. You know, go for it. Job. Job, we're in the book of Job. Great. Okay, is Job in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Old. Good. Old Testament. So we're in the Old Testament. Okay. Is it a true story? Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's a true story. Okay. Here is uh, another story by an old, old famous writer. It's called GK Chesterton. This is kind of a true story. Okay. Let me read this to you. There was a young boy that was given a choice. He could become gigantic or he could become teeny tiny, super small And the boy chose to be gigantic. His head touched the clouds. He waded through the Atlantic Ocean like it was a pond. He scooped up whales in his hands, and he swished them around like tadpoles. Uh, He scooped up whales. He skipped in a couple of leaps from one edge of the U.S. to the other. He kicked over a range of mountains just because he didn't feel like stepping over them. And when he got tired, he stretched out across Nebraska and Ohio, flopped one arm into the Dakotas and another arm into Canada. It was magnificent. It was exhilarating. It was mesmerizing for about a day. And then it was boring. And the gigantic boy, when he was bored, he daydreamed about What if I had chosen to be small? Ah, what if I had chosen to be super tiny? My backyard would have become an Amazonian rainforest. My hamster would have become a gigantic wooly mammoth. Uh, 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 I could go riding on the back of a butterfly. I could go check out the most awesome caves that worms had made. A tub of ice cream would have become my winter playground. Life would have been so much more awesome if I had chosen to be small. Everything would have been bigger and more magnificent. Okay, so that's the story. Big or small? I should have asked you all at the beginning what you would have chosen. But let's just assume now you would all say, ah, small. Uh, The Bible says, the Bible says we're supposed to be like that kid at the end, that we are supposed to know our smallness. And know God's bigness. That is what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. Kids, did you know that the Bible tells us that we are supposed to fear the Lord? Does that sound like that's in the Bible? It doesn't. It doesn't sound like it's in the Bible, but give us what crazy, crazy, crazy. It is. It's in the Bible. We're going to read about it today. That what we are supposed to do, like if you want to be super, super wise and get what's going on in life and in the world, the, what you need to do is you need to fear the Lord. and that doesn't mean to be scared, like you know, scary movies or like a scary dog. It doesn't mean to be scared of God. It means that you believe and you love, that God is so, 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 so much bigger than you, and so much more awesome than you. and that He's in control of life, and you're not. And that that's actually a good thing. That's what it means to fear the Lord, that he's really, really, really big. Job, so we're going to talk about Job. Job is really suffering, and he doesn't know why. And he's really, really sad. He's really, really scared. He's really, really confused. But then he says, but I'm still going to fear the Lord. That God is still bigger than all of this. And that he's still good. And he knows what's going on. And He's not left me, and he still loves me. And he is going to save me. That's what we're going to see today. So kids, if you want to be wise, if you want to get what's going on in life, whatever's happening to you, if you want to be wise, you want to fear the Lord. You want to look at Jesus and know that he is so, 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 so big, so much bigger than us. Know that he is so perfectly good that we're actually sinners who need him. And that he did what we cannot do for ourselves. This is how big Jesus is. He came and lived for us and died for us to save us. That's how big the gospel is. That's how much God loves you. If you believe in that, that is the fear of the Lord, and it's a good thing. God's in control no matter what. So here we go back into the book of Job. We keep saying that the book of Job is about conflict. In a word, conflict that Satan comes along and he challenges God that since the fall, mankind belongs to him. And God challenges, Satan's challenge, well, have you seen my servant Job? I am saving a people by grace. And Satan challenges God's challenge that God's promise of grace is a lie, it's empty. Job is not a real believer. No one is, and that makes God a liar too. Grace is fake, God says, challenge accepted. Job is now the test case of the truthfulness of God's gospel of grace in a fallen world. Which is so scary because if Job loses his faith, then grace fails. The gospel is a lie. Then God loses and we lose. It's kind of a big deal. Satan has relentlessly attacked Job. We've seen Job now descend into despair. And Job at this point is debating. He's done done debating his comforters. He's in despair, but he's no longer debating them. He's actually silenced them. And now he's become the teacher. So in despair, and yet here's Job teaching. So a lot of, uh, you know, there are commentators out there, scholars who think Job 28 is really out of place. Doesn't really fit. As in, how is Job throwing down wisdom like this when he's in the depths of despair like this? Especially when this wisdom doesn't seem to last and he comes out of it and he starts despairing again right after Job 28. Let's see. Just heads up. This is the hinge of the book of Job. Please stand for the reading of God's word, Job chapter 28. It looks long, but it's a poem. It's maybe the most beautiful poem that's ever been written. Uh, Certainly about uh, wisdom. So follow along with me. This is Job. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore, in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers they hang in the air far away from mankind they swing to and fro as for the earth out of it comes bread but underneath it is turned up as by fire its stones are the places of sapphires and it has dust of gold that path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye he's not seen it the proud beasts they've not trodden it the lion not passed over it Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so they do not trickle and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man Does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil, is understanding. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. The the Welsh pastor David Martin Lloyd Jones, in his book Spiritual Depression, wrote, "Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself?" So as much as Job is teaching those who are listening, Job is also talking to himself here. Yes, he is still in the depths. He is confused. He is angry. He is sad. He is despairing. And here he is speaking wisdom to those listening and to himself. The first part of the poem sets us up uh, for what's coming. What Job does, he starts off by singing about the wonders of man's cultural achievements, going all the way back to the first giants of culture. Genesis 4, those daring sons of Tubal-Cain and mining. <clears throat> mining, may not be the, mining may not be the first place, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when boasting about the awesome cultural achievements of the human race. You think about it spending your career underground in the dark, confined in a, confined, talk about tight places, a tunnel, crazy hard manual labor, uh, risking the black lung. Then you gotta think about the courage, the strength, the grit, the mastery, the technology involved in mining. It is truly a testament to human ability and ingenuity. It's crazy awesome. And then Job goes on to compare us to the animals. Look at the soaring falcon, look at the proud lion. He says, as beautiful and as majestic as these creatures are, they're oblivious to the achievements of mankind, like the building of cities, science, engineering, technology, architecture, agriculture, civil government, industry trade commerce economy education the arts literature music dancing entertainment sports little babies as in that is mankind is the apex it is the greatest of all cultural products I mean what's a bird of what's a bird of prey Job is saying what's a lion and we're going to add on to Job here Compared to the genius of Da Vinci, Shakespeare, Mozart, Marie Curie, Einstein, Catherine Johnson, and Dorothy Vaughn, basically two human computers who figured out the math to put people into space? What's the animal kingdom uh, compared to the kingdoms of mankind? Egypt, Ethiopia, Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, keep going, Han Dynasty, Umayyad Caliphate, the Mongol Empire, Ottoman Empire, an ant's hill, a wasp's nest, a spider's web, a beaver's dam. Those things are They're magnificent. But what are they compared to the harnessing of fire, the wheel, the light bulb, Cars, planes, TV, internet, the cell phone—not only sending a man to the moon, but you know what's happening today? The dueling billionaires are racing into space to start space tourism. That's going to be a thing. Uh, We just—I had to ask my my brother-in-law and my sister, Will and Lindsay, uh, about like some of the latest coolest stuff because I don't know about it. Like, we just flew a remote-controlled helicopter across Mars. We can perform open-heart surgery on infants while they're still in the womb and then later deliver healthy babies. Taylor Swift. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, look how far we have come. Look what we can do. It's awesome. And yet, and yet, after all these achievements, Job comes to the heart of the matter and asks, But where is wisdom to be found? And he says, I'll tell you where wisdom is not found. And here's the punchline. Wisdom is not something that can be found in creation, which is really, it is is a punch. As awesome as mankind's technological, scientific, artistic, cultural achievements are, humankind is not able, either by the Techniques or the treasures of creativity to attain wisdom. There are lots of worldly philosophies out there that claim to be wisdom that the world is running with uh, right now. Way too many to name, but a few are worth mentioning because they are making headway into the church today. So let's see if I can make some people mad. Um, worldly philosophies, really, I'm not trying to make any, like, really, this is the stuff you just don't want to say. and you have to say it. So worldly philosophies, claiming to be wisdom, like uh, philosophy, worldly philosophy of identity, as in be true to yourself, go inside and demand not just tolerance, but affirmation from the world of who you say you are. And if anyone doesn't give it to you, they're doing you some kind of violence. The philosophy of Marxism, as in you do not look outside the bounds of the material world to find any meaning. There is no meaning outside the material bounds, rather the meaning of life and the meaning of history, the meaning of humanity. It is found within the bounds of the historical process. The historical process is one of oppression and liberation of dominant groups and marginalized groups. Nationalism, this Christian nationalism with the goal of Christianizing America, that is, it's been in the church, it's making more headway in the church, Uh, uh, the goal of Christianizing America through, through the church and various political means, as if America was founded and should forever be a Christian state as if the goal of the church was to get the church back to what Israel was, which is a theocratic state, as if the church was the mouthpiece of one particular political party. Then there's the health-wealth-prosperity philosophy that says God wants you to be happy. And if you're good, he'll bless you in this life. And if you're bad, then he'll bring suffering to you until you repent like a good little boy or girl. The goal... It's pleasure, it's comfort, a life of suffering. It has no meaning. Okay, what these worldly philosophies have in common is that they're seeking wisdom within the bounds of creation. And Job says that, it's not only, that that's not only possible, that's actually foolishness. You can't scientifically probe your way to wisdom. You can't philosophize your way to wisdom. You can't buy wisdom. Another pastor put it this way, science, technology, our cultural creativity, it cannot give you the answer to the meaning of life. And it cannot answer the problem of evil and suffering. Told you all this before, many of y'all came up to me afterwards and said, I don't believe that story's true. I'm telling you, this is true. At least my professor told me this is true. My seminary professor, David Wells, tells a story about visiting his native home in South Africa. This is years ago, he's walking along a reef on a beach with his old pastor friend, and his friend stops him at one point and says, okay, right here, two weeks ago, one of my church members was standing right here in this very spot, looking out at the ocean, when all of a sudden, a great white shark leaps out of the water, grabs her, and takes her under. She was never seen again. She was a lovely young girl, strong in her faith, active in serving our church can you explain to me why God would allow such a senseless act of violence to befall one of his children? And At that point, David Wells says, let's just get off this reef. And there was no negligence on the part of the girl or the lifeguards or her family or friends. There's no one to blame. And people want to look at that, and they want to say, see, that suffering right there, that was pointless. The truth is, there is no world philosophy, there is no religion that has an answer for that. And every other religion and every other world philosophy will respond well, yeah, neither does the Bible. Because the God of the Bible would not allow such pointless suffering. And yet, the world is full of pointless suffering like that. So, your God of the Bible can't exist or he's not all powerful, or he's not all loving. But that is because the world does not have wisdom in her. Wisdom is not found, Job says, is not found in the land of the living. Wisdom is not found in the land of the dead. That is crazy. Death, the most powerful, unstoppable force in all of creation, and even right here, building up to the crescendo of the poem, the grave And death itself confess they have only heard a rumor of wisdom and they don't have it either. So in the last part of the poem, the question comes up again, but Job asks it a different way. The question was, where can wisdom be found? And now in the awesome beauty of Hebrew poetry building on itself with parallelism and contrast, the question becomes, from where then does wisdom come? come. He's moved from where is it found to, okay, so where does it come from? As then you cannot find wisdom. You have to receive it. You have to receive it from the one who possesses it. Job says the one, the only one who possesses it is the creator, Lord of the universe, whose creation testifies to his wisdom. So, think about, as all of creation was made by God's word, Genesis 1 type stuff, let there be light and there was light. Wisdom is the word of God's will. God made the world according to his wisdom, Job says, which means there is order. There is beauty. And it does all make sense. But, Job says, that only God Only God can see the whole thing. So if we're going to get wisdom, we got to get it from the one who's got it. The the Russian premier, Khrushchev, he's giving a speech about the glories of atheism. And at one point he says, listen, we just sent a a cosmonaut up into space. And he says, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing the astronaut's name, uh, Gagarin. He flew into space, but didn't see any God there. And C.S. Lewis wrote a nice little rebuke to this. He says, if there is a God, we certainly don't relate to him as people on the first floor of a building relate to people on the second floor. We would relate to God the way Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. And the only way Hamlet is going to know something about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare reveals himself in the play. And the only way we're going to know who we are, the meaning of life, the meaning of history, creation, is if God, the playwright, reveals himself and his wisdom to us. And so, thankfully, he has in his word, in the special revelation of his word. And, and we're doing this right here. Let's be really, really clear What does his word reveal? How do you get wisdom? It says this, uh, verse 28, and he said to man, this is Job saying, and God said to man, this is my revelation of wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Job says, behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. Okay, now let's be super duper clear. Building on what we told the kids, uh, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Because it sounds like it it does sound like it's a command to be scared of God, which we don't like. No, but fear is the right word. Fear is the right word here. Think of our fear of fire. We don't we don't treat fire lightly. We treat it with respect. We respect it. We we stare at it. We sit in awe of it, in awe of its heat and its beauty think of a concert, think of a a play, think of a a dance performance, you're in awe before it. And if you notice some fool next to you gabbing away on their phone, you want to point out their foolishness and instill a little fear in them. And one of C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia See, there's no, like, moans when I say C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. I say Tolkien, you know, uh, whatever. And one of C.S. Lewis—this is a great tape— one of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia's uh, tales. There's a scene. There's a scene. This is in the silver chair. This is kind of one of the later books in the, in the series. There's a scene where there's a young girl named Jill, and she's trying to get a drink of uh, water by the river. She, she's new to Narnia. She really doesn't know what's going on. She's, she's really thirsty. And there's a problem. Aslan, who is the Christ figure in Narnia— uh, and, he, and he's a lion, uh, he's by the river. And so she's terrified. And he says to her, are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Well, then drink, said the lion. May I, could, could I, would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. And the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to uh, do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that uh, without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. And it didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. Why well, dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Okay, there is a right fear with something really, really good. And it's that thing of you know you're not that good. In the presence of that thing, that is really, really good. You know you're not in control and that you have to submit to the thing that is really, really good. And so it is our reverent acknowledgement that we, and that this world, that we're totally subject to our Creator, and we need Him. That's the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And you start to get wise when you stop looking for wisdom apart from God and His Word. You advance in wisdom as you think on God's Word. As in His, like, what is wisdom? God's Word, His revealed will of what is good and moral. Like, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. What you should say and shouldn't say. What you should think and shouldn't think. What's right, what's wrong. Like, wisdom is, is God's revealed will of what is real. Like, how the world and how your heart, how those things work. Wisdom is God's revealed will in his word of what you can know and what you can't know. Like what's true and how you know what you know and how you know what you don't know. As in, that means we don't and we won't know everything in this life, no matter how much, how much we advance in culture. And so we are to fear God And this is where it comes back to Job. We were to fear God even in suffering and even in the face of evil. And we were to give up that control and know that he is still all good, all powerful, beautiful, even in suffering, even in the face of evil. To trust that he's in control when it doesn't look like it. That he's loving you even though it feels like he's far away. There was one of those... um, It was one of those doctor's visits uh, where uh, all three kids, all three of our kids needed to get a shot, and they were, quote, wise to it, uh, and were asking Ryan about it beforehand, and Ryan is trying not to cause unnecessary drama before the big moment, so she did all she could do to calm their fears, and then the moment comes. The doctor walks in with the shot and bananas, like two of the kids, she called me up right out after. Two of the kids are literally dodging the doctor and Ryan, bouncing off the walls, the table, the chair, uh, 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 scrim- begging, begging for mercy. Please don't. Please stop. The other one is in the corner screaming, ah! It's chaos. And Ryan calmly restrains. Each child, one by one, lovingly speaking, tenderly to them. And what Ryan was doing in bringing that suffering to these kids was love. And they still felt betrayed afterwards. Try to explain vaccines, all you want, to little children. Did it make a difference to you when you were three? No. And it's the, same. it's the same for God and us, except the distance between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of every person in this room is infinitely greater than the, diff- than the distance between the wisdom of every adult in here and every child. God made the world according to his wisdom, which means there is order and there is beauty and it does all it does it all makes sense but only god can see the whole thing and, uh, i heard another pastor point this out this is so helpful said so there are basically two kinds of fools in the world who haven't received this wisdom there are moralistic fools like job's three like like we just heard last week like job's three comforters they get cre- these the moralistic fools they get creation that there's the God of creation. But they deny the fall. They essentially deny that mankind is broken by sin and they deny redemption. That God is saving a sinful people totally, only by grace, through faith in this Savior. So the moralistic fool will say, listen, if you do right, God will bless you in life. If you do wrong, God will curse you in life and then there are the relativistic fools who get the fall they they you know the moralistic fools get creation the relativistic fools get the fall they get the brokenness of the world but they deny creation and they deny redemption so the relativistic fool says well there isn't there's no order there's no god and so i decide what's right and what's wrong for myself Is, so and the conclusion is that apart from God, regardless of your, of our cultural achievements, all that we can truly advance in is ultimately folly and foolishness apart from God and his wisdom. And both kinds of fools are undone when it comes to the end. They're undone by suffering. They're undone by evil because they miss the wisdom of the gospel. This last line that Job says here in this awesome poem is not a throwaway line. This is everything to Job. He says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that's understanding. That is so much more turning away from evil. That is so much more than than just about morality. It is Job's understanding what's really going on as much as he can that he has to hold on to grace in defiance of the evil one, and there is an evil one. That there is a conflict that has been raging since the fall. Job knows that, and Job knows from the gospel promised by God right after the fall that the Savior that is coming, he is not going to be immune to suffering He's not going to be immune to the conflict with evil. And so it cannot be true that just because Job is suffering and just because he is facing evil, that the gospel is not true. No, it's the the gospel and the gospel alone that makes sense of what Job is going through. Job believes that this Savior to come will take suffering himself in order to defeat the evil one in the climax of this conflict. Now, what Job can't know at this point in the history of Revelation, as God is revealing more and more of his will and fleshing out this gospel promise, what Job can't know, what we do know, is that not only will his Savior suffer in the ultimate conflict, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to be treated like a fool in this conflict. He's going to be mocked, he's going to be spit upon. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be nailed to a cross. And then he is going to suffer the wrath of God for our foolishness, for our folly. He's going to do it all out of love and grace for fools like us. So in the midst of Job's despair and confusion and questioning, he gets beyond, even if this is just for a moment, he gets beyond the why of his suffering. As in whatever the why Wisdom is to fear God, and that he is God, and that I am not, and he is good, and so I'm sticking with him, and I'm turning away from evil, trusting that God will overcome all evil and all suffering. So, loved ones, can, so can you, do you get to ask the why questions? Yes, of course. Of course, you you get to ask God your Father, like, Why? You can come ask me. You ask each other. Yes, you get to ask the why questions. But ours is not to become preoccupied with the why, to obsess over the why. Even when evil and suffering seem pointless, in the face of that evil, in the face of that suffering, ours is to ask the what. What are we going to do in the face of this? And the how, and how are we going to do it? And like Job, the what, the how? This is what we're going to do. We're going to proclaim the gospel. And we're going to grow in the gospel. We're going to run to Jesus, and in running to Him, we're going to bring ourselves under His lordship. And we're going to do that together, over and over and over, as long as we have each other. And we're going to trust in Him. And we're going to do it today. We're going to do it again tomorrow. We're going to do it again next Sunday. We're going to keep doing it. Come what may. And we're going to do it all to the end of what we come here to do, which is to worship him, to worship him in fear, right fear. That's the beginning. That's the way of wisdom. That's the way we're going to go. Please pray with me that prayer that our Lord and Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.